the highs and lows of teenage diabetes, what are the management challenges of treating this patient group? You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment focused on diabetes. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Lushaz, and joining me from Denver, Colorado, is Dr. Peter Chase, who's Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Colorado School of Medicine and Emeritus Clinical Director of the Barbara Davis Center for Childhood Diabetes in Aurora, Colorado. We're discussing the management of teenage diabetes. Welcome, Dr. Chase. Thank you, Mary. Thanks for joining us. It's good to be with you. Great. The adolescent population is a very particular population. We're talking about the age group of 13 to 19-year-olds. What questions do you ask a teenager with diabetes if you're a physician? Let me say, first of all, that in this age group, diabetes is not their priority. It's way down the line. So I think the first question has to be uh, how committed are they to keeping themselves in pretty good control because it's very clear now from many, many studies that keeping diabetes in good control prevents the complications and that at the start of the teenage years is when the complication risk revs up dramatically. The preteen has a much lower risk if they aren't in good glycemic control, whereas the teenager starts to have a magnified risk. And there's so many things going on with teenagers, be it their psychologic lives and their hormonal lives, that control is much more difficult during the teenage years than it is at any other time in their life. Therefore, should physicians' expectations of glycemic control lower a little bit during this period? In general, that's true. We don't expect an adolescent to have the level of control measured by the hemoglobin A1C test that an adult would have, for example. It's pretty much impossible because of the very high levels of other hormones that prevent the good control. And fortunately, as the teenager matures, some of these other hormones that interfere with glycemic control go down and make control much easier as they become adults. What's the exact glycemic range recommended by the American Diabetic Association and what percentage of teenagers fall within these limits? The recommended A1C would be to below 7%, but that's pretty unrealistic for most teenagers. And if we can keep them below 7.5% in the A1C test, which is a test that tells how high their glucose levels have been over the past three months, we're generally very happy. And this test very much relates to developing later eye, kidney, and nerve complications of diabetes, so it's very important to keep it in a good range. The rebelling teenager that's not taking care of their diabetes can be detected very easily by doing this hemoglobin A1C test so that this test pretty much revolutionized diabetes care when it became available in the early 80s. We now know pretty much who is going to have complications of diabetes because of high levels of the A1C test. And it should be measured every three months on every person with type 1 diabetes. You mentioned the other complications of diabetes, which include retinopathy, nephropathy, neuropathy. How often does the teenager need to be screened for these particular problems? We generally do a test called the microalbumin test for the kidneys every year on a teenager. We recommend the eye screening every year as well. Some clinics do not do it quite as frequently as we do, but it's good to get in the habit of doing it 
and early changes may alert the family to concentrate on better control, which can even reverse early changes. So I think screening every year is important. What are the psychological responses clinicians need to be able to deal with? There's so much going on in teenagers' heads. How can you give some tips to physicians for dealing with these patients? Well, it's often very difficult, quite frankly, and I think clinics need to have social workers and psychologists available to help children that are not being able to comply with all of the things that we ask. And there's so much going on in a teenager's life that asking them to also deal with diabetes can be a horrendous request. So having people available for extra counseling when things are not going well, I think is very important. Do you ever get the schools or the teachers involved in education? In the U.S., the schools are extremely involved, and there are even instances where someone's not getting their insulin at home because of a broken family and nobody's supervising at home where the school takes over, making sure that the insulin's given. So the, the school can be extremely important in optimal management and making sure that blood sugars are done at school and notifying us if things are going on, uh, low blood sugars or whatever that the family hasn't let us know about. But the school can be a very important part of management of diabetes in a child or an adolescent. And is that the best way to combat peer pressure as well, educate the kids in the school? Many of the youth with diabetes do not want the whole school to know they have diabetes, but it's helpful to have a peer group that knows that the child has diabetes that can be helpful and willing to wait for the youth to go to lunch if they're doing a blood sugar before they go to lunch and including them in their group. So peer groups are very important in teenagers and if you can tie a peer group into helping a teenager, it usually results in better overall control. For those who are just tuning in, welcome to a special segment, Focus on Diabetes, on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Lushars, and I'm speaking with Dr. Peter Chase about the highs and the lows of diabetes management in the teenage population. Dr. Chase, how do you deal with your teenage patients and the tricky issues of alcohol? Right. What we've generally done is to encourage the teenager, if they're going to be in a situation where alcohol is being consumed, to try to hold a glass for a long enough time period that, without drinking that someone's not coming by to keep filling a glass because certainly part of it is how much is consumed. But alcohol will prevent the liver from releasing the normal hormones to counteract low blood sugars so that if a child with diabetes or a teenager with diabetes is drinking alcohol, the chance for low blood sugars goes up dramatically, and the teenager may be able to hold a a glass of beer, for example, for two hours, whereas uh, another person is uh, drinking multiple glasses of beer and not get into difficulty as a result of doing that. So I think training and discussing it is important, and the family that says, don't discuss this with my because it's never going to happen is being very unrealistic because I think all teens nowadays will face this at some point in their life. For kids who are going away to, for example, summer camp who have diabetes, does altitude affect insulin requirements? I know you're in Colorado and that may be a factor in your patient population. Well, I think that any time the heart is beating more rapidly, 
it may take up more insulin from the subcutaneous injection site so that low blood sugars can be more frequent. And exercise generally increases with CAMP and exercise results in more low blood sugars as well. So we generally recommend reducing an insulin dose of 10 to 20% when youth are going off to a camp of any type, but they certainly can attend camps, and most youth with diabetes uh, do very well, but there are just a few things to think about ahead of time, and one of them is a routine reduction in insulin dosage. Do sick day protocols for type 1 diabetic teenagers need to be adjusted regularly because of the rapidly changing growth of teenagers? Well, sick days are really important for youth with diabetes because they can make a substance called ketones, which can make them very, very ill, and uh, youth can actually die from what we call diabetic ketoacidosis. So at any side of an illness, it's very important that the youth be checking ketones, and they may have to stay home from school if moderate or large ketones are present in the urine, and it becomes a, a very serious health issue. So It's important for the family to know that these checks need to be done and to get rid of the ketones as promptly as is possible. Is the incidence of type 2 diabetes being diagnosed in teenagers increasing? Type 2 diabetes is definitely increasing with more and more teens being overweight. And there are some populations such as the Pima Indian population in the U.S. where as many as 50% of the teens will have diabetes. So... It's a difficult situation, and it's sometimes not diagnosed, but overweight teenagers should be screened for diabetes. What's your level of success personally with education around dietary guidelines and portion control in diabetic teenagers? Yes, the suggestions for diet have changed dramatically in my career. We've gone from a very tight Exchange diet of all foods to really trying to monitor glucose intake, primarily foods containing high glucose. And we certainly teach our families how to handle glucose intake, but as you can guess, at school when there's a party or something going on, it's uh, sometimes very hard to restrict the carbohydrate intake without getting adequate insulin coverage. So it's still a bit of a problem. And There will be better ways in the future, I think, to deal with this, but certainly we try to encourage teens to cover any carbohydrate intake with insulin. It just doesn't always happen. It's a bit more successful with the youth on a pump, and more and more teenagers are using insulin pumps in the United States because it's easy to reach down and press a few buttons and take a bit more insulin to cover a school snack or a birthday party or something, whereas a child with a shop may be a little less apt to get a syringe and a bottle of insulin. They may not be having it with them and draw up extra insulin for that special event. Now, we talked a lot about education of diabetes for both teenage patients and families. You've written a book about understanding diabetes. Can you talk a little about that? Yes, thank you for asking. It's actually available by calling 1-800-695-2873 or it's available free online at the barbaradaviscenter.org or the children's diabetes fdn for foundation.org and education is obviously the cornerstone for people doing well with diabetes and there's a 
abstract book called The First Book for Understanding Diabetes, as well as the full book of Understanding Diabetes, which has now gotten a bit long. I must add it's 300 pages, whereas the abstract book is 100 pages. But good initial education is really what allows the family to handle the diabetes. And these are the main books used in the United States. We go through between 75,000 and 100,000 copies of the abstract book each year now. And they're a nonprofit book that supports our Children's Diabetes Foundation. But good education is certainly the first and primary tenant in doing well for a family with diabetes. Thanks very much, Dr. Chase, for being our guest. We've been discussing how clinicians and families can manage diabetes in teenagers. I'm Dr. Mary Luchars. You've been listening to a special segment on the Clinician's Roundtable, Focus on Diabetes, on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. To listen to our on-demand library, visit us at reachmd.com, register with promo code RADIO, and receive six months free streaming for your home or office. Thanks for listening.